Welcome to Becoming Referrable, the podcast that shows you how to become the kind of advisor people can't stop talking about. I'm Steve Wershing. On this episode, we talk with Michael Port. Although one of the most influential speaker trainers, he has important advice even if you are not a professional speaker. His most recent book, Steal the Show, he points out that we are performing all the time, whether trying to persuade clients to take our advice, networking with other professionals, doing community work, or coaching your kid's soccer team. And the concepts and disciplines of acting can help you be more effective in all of them. Steal the Show is the sixth book by Michael and might be the most unique and practical book ever written about public speaking, according to a former president of Starbucks. He's been called an uncommonly honest author by the Boston Globe, a marketing guru by the Wall Street Journal, the sales guru by the Financial Times, and a public speaking phenom by Jonathan Fields. His books have been on the bestseller lists of the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, and Publishers Weekly, and have been selected by Amazon and 800 CEO Read as best books of the year. Port started as an actor. After completing New York University's graduate acting program, he performed on television in shows like Sex and the City and Law and Order, and in films like The Pelican Brief and Down to Earth. After leaving acting for business, he hit the speaking circuit with Book Yourself Solid, the fastest, easiest, and most reliable system for getting more clients than you can handle, even if you hate marketing and selling. These days, he spends much of his time running heroic public speaking with his co-founder and business partner and wife, Amy Port. Our conversation brings in points from both these books, including how to prepare to bump into prospective clients and introduce what you do, the six keys to creating connection, and of course, how to design and rehearse conversations about referrals. It is dense with practical tips and useful advice uh, for your advisory practice. And so without further delay, let's get on to our conversation with... Michael Port. Michael Port, welcome to the Becoming Referrable podcast. We're so excited to have you. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so let's let's just get into your most recent book, Steal the Show. Um, and in that, you uh, talk about the importance of performing to everyone, not just professionally graduate level actors like you and your wife and business partner, Amy. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about what you mean by that for the part, people in the audience who have not read your stuff yet? Sure, of course. So, look, I think that a speech has the power to change the world and the people in it, including the speaker. Because anytime you are trying to change the way other people think or feel or act, you have to up-level the way that you interact with those folks. And we play lots of different roles in life. So even if you never give uh, what would traditionally be considered a speech, throughout your whole day, you're playing different roles. Now, you play one role as a spouse. You play another role as a parent. You play another role as a child. You play another role as a friend. You play another role as a financial advisor. And... If you're, say, the CEO or the managing partner of your firm, you play another role entirely. So each role requires that we bring different skills, different sensibilities, and 
as a result of uh, these different roles that we play, we have different responsibilities in these roles. So anytime you are trying to influence the way somebody thinks or feels or acts, then you're performing. That's the way we see it. And frankly, the best performers in the world are the most honest performers in the world. You know, sometimes performance gets a, a bad rap. Sometimes people you know, equate or conflate performance with pretend or fake. But if you are fully honest in the actions that you take in order to influence the way other people feel, uh, then I think you can feel comfortable that you're in integrity when you're performing. So let's just look at the role of the financial advisor. When you are in that role for a client, what, what, what does the client expect from you? So I'm asking, I actually would love to hear from you guys. What does the client expect from you when you're in that role? Yeah, well, and and you bring up something really important in in that in your comments leading up to that, Michael. The you know it's it's uh, you know that that really interacting with people. I don't think that we give enough weight to thinking about how people feel about that. That we're trying to 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 bring up feelings because if we ask many advisors. What is what? What do you do? What is expected of you in the role of financial advisor? A, a lot of them would end up at the point where they say, "Well, essentially, information exchange." But that's not really what it's about, right? I mean, not really. There's a lot of people who can offer information exchange. Uh, in fact, uh, the robo advisors will do that for you quite well. So, what role does the human being uh, play as an advisor, especially now that uh, we're competing? Uh, against, uh, you know, fintech. Yeah. Right. And I, I would say guide. In fact, when we've done research uh, and asked verbatim questions, the number one word used by the clients who are the most engaged say guidance, mm -hmm. right? And, and that yep. is an innately human activity. Right? Yeah, so exactly right. So if you think about it, you know, if you're, if you're to play the role of guide, then the people that you're serving when you're playing that role, need to see you as somebody who is consistent, somebody who creates safety, uh, somebody who already has uh, the, the map for the journey that you're going to go on, has the emotional security and stability to be able to handle all of the uh, ups and downs that you're going to experience on that journey. So if you show up to a client meeting and you spend the first 10, 15 minutes, you know, complaining about the traffic on the way over there. <laughs> sure. Do, is, is, that, is that the kind of behavior that, uh, that, you know, somebody who is in that role of guide with all of those qualities and uh, characteristics and traits, is that how they would behave? I don't think so. So if we, if we choose uh, our, our actions, if we choose our behaviors uh, so that they are in line with the different aspects of the role that we want to play, then we're going to be seen in that role in the way we want to be seen in that role. Uh, and as a result, we were given the opportunity to be of service. Right, right. Julie, and Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Julie. Do you use the word performance then there because it suggests we need to be more intentional about how we do that? 
Hundred percent. Because look, here's the thing. You know, if someone says, "Well, I don't want to. I don't want to perform. I, I just want to be myself." That's fine. But we all day long are influencing how other people feel, and if we're not intentional about it, then we may in fact influence them in a way that we do not intend. Because very often our subconscious is working uh, very actively, uh, and uh, and is helping us make choices. Uh, in the moment, but if we are not intentional about those choices, well, who knows how we're going to make somebody feel? We may not make them feel very good. We might not not put them into a particular um, mood that actually helps us achieve our objectives. So, when when you're thinking about the role that you play, not only do you think about well, what traits uh, do does somebody in this role have? We also want to think about, well, what's our objective? Because if you know what your objective is, then you can pursue that objective by making choices that influence how they think, how they feel, and how they act. And you can use the traits that uh, someone in this role would have in order to make that happen. Yeah. To, so I'm learning from you, Michael. Yes. And... Um, <laughs> well done. You know, the... Um, you know, it's it's so important to to think about those feelings and how you affect them because for, for a lot of financial advisors need to be persuasive as a big part of their as a of big course. part of their role as a financial advisor. You know, it, it financial advice is a, is a lot less about the technical aspects or the math aspects, and it's really more about inf influencing behaviors. You want to you want to help clients choose to do the right things to help them get where they want. And yeah. so, well, you, look, know, you know, I'm a, I'm a personal finance geek myself. So uh, I'm very, very interested in this space. Uh, I've never obviously been a professional and I have no inten intention to be a professional, but I love, I love what, uh, what personal finance and investing can do for us. And if we're not actively engaged in learning, uh, you know, in learning what we need to know in order to uh, to succeed in the world and the way it's set up right now, you know, we're going to have a hard time. And uh, so I'm just a big fan. So I think that, you know, the work that, you know, advisors with a lot of integrity do, uh, uh, it's really, really important. So, you know, thank you for that. The, the thing that's so interesting, though, is that I've interacted with so many different advisors over the years. And what it always seems to come down to for me is how they make me feel. And I remember I, I had a, a relationship with one advisor who, you know, when I would talk to him, I, I would feel a little bit stupid, mm -hmm. you know, like he would grunt a lot, <laughs> you know, I'd ask him a question. He'd go, was he a teenage he, boy? By any yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was 12. Sure. No, he just, you know, he just, when he would, when I would ask a question that I don't think he really felt like answering, he'd go, huh, well, uh, you know, okay. Yeah. A little right. judgy. Yeah. 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 Sure. But, but I have, uh, you know, I manage, uh, my family's money and I manage, uh, our, uh, defined benefit plan here, uh, because I do it in a very, very straightforward way. But I, I have an accountant who's also a CFP, uh, who is my, um, I guess you, he's my advisor. Of course, he you know takes care of all of our tax planning, et cetera. Uh, but when I need financial advice, I'll I'll go to him as well. And then he also sort of works as like a part time, not part time, but like a partial CFO to to help advise uh, in our controller. But I mention him because every single time I talk to him, 
I feel better about who I am and what I'm capable of. And he never, you know, will blow, you know, uh, smoke. He, he never will make outsized promises. He, he never pushes me to do something uh, that I'm not comfortable with. He never tries to sell me something that he doesn't understand, which I think is often the case uh, for a lot of advisors. They'll sell something that they actually don't understand. Uh, and, and so as a result, I trust him. Uh, I trust him completely. And I love interacting with him. And as a result, I do more with him because of that. So he's very, very clear what his role is. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a concept called clothed cognition. And clothed cognition suggests that what we wear, our uniform or our, 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 our clothing, uh, influences two things. Number one, what other people think about us. And number two, what we think about ourselves. So, for example, we're all familiar with the lab coat or the doctor's white coat. Sure. And, uh, and they did a study where they took people who were not doctors, they were just regular folks, and uh, they split them into two groups. And they had uh, one group wear lab coats when they were uh, doing an exercise, uh, and it was an intellectual exercise, they had to solve some problems. And then the other group, they did not have uh, wear a lab coat, they just wore their regular street clothes. And ironically, the group that wore, wore the lab coat on average had a 15% better uh, results on these uh, tests that they were taking just because they were wearing a lab coat. Yeah. They felt, yeah, yeah. they actually felt smarter, which is remarkable. It's the same thing. If, if, uh, if somebody is, somebody else is wearing a lab coat, then you will see them as more intellectual. You just make that assumption because generally when someone's wearing a lab coat, uh, they have some sort of a technical or medical uh, expertise. Now, that doesn't mean you're just going to let anybody operate on you just because they have a white coat on, of course. But um, all the choices that we make about how we behave, so how we move, how we sit, how we uh, shake somebody's hand, how we dress, whether we have a beard or don't have a beard, whether we wear glasses or don't wear glasses, all of those things influence the way people think about us and of course influence the way we feel about ourselves and that's part of performing so we do this when we're every single day when we get up and we're choosing what to put on but i just think we could be more intentional about it i mean even martin luther king uh used this concept of uh, clothed cognition and uh he you know the glasses that he's so famous for those those thick yeah. uh, rimmed glasses the, those were not prescription glasses. He, he, he felt that his face looked too young to be taken seriously when he started to, um, you know, be, to assume a leadership role uh, in the civil rights movement. And he felt nobody's can take me seriously because I look like a baby. That was his concern. So what he decided to do was wear these glasses, which he felt made him look more intellectual. And uh, as a result, he thought that that would help him in the role that he was playing as a leader in the civil rights movement. It's fascinating. Yeah, and, and these glasses are actually <clears throat> up at his museum. And Coretta Scott King, uh, his wife, uh, has talked about this, how he chose to wear these glasses for this very reason. That is, that is fascinating. And so let's, let's talk a little bit more about uh, that intentionality that, that you talk about. So you can be intentional about how you present yourself and what you wear and how you move. You know, and, and in your... 
in your process, you know, you talk a lot about the importance of rehearsal. And mm-hmm. um, so how, how could how can an advisor um, utilize that or how, how could they, how could how do they rehearse for the kinds of things that they would be doing in their role? Sure. So, you know, we have a seven step rehearsal process, which is a pretty uh, comprehensive rehearsal process that the people we work with use when they're developing speeches, keynotes, breakouts, workshops, etc. So I'm not going to go into all of those details right now, because I think it's a little bit too uh, comprehensive for the discussion we're having and for, you know, what most uh, folks do if they're not giving those kind of speeches. But for those who are interested in that, they can read up on it in Steal the Show, the book that you mentioned earlier. But what I would say is this, for advisors who aren't giving speeches, but are sitting down and uh, and having conversations with uh, potential clients or current clients, or giving presentations to those uh, clients or potential clients uh, about uh, what their options might be, there's a couple things that they can do. Number one, there are certainly things that we know that we say all the time. They're very, you know, every single uh, professional uh, is asked the same questions again and again and again. And so one of the things you can do is identify what are the common questions that you get? Say, what are the top 10 questions that you get on a regular basis? And then you can work on organizing a bit that answers those questions. And then if you can organize that bit in such a way that it demonstrates um, real care and concern for the needs of that uh, person asking the question uh, and fully answers that question, uh, then you always have in your back pocket the ability to answer any question uh, really easily, uh, authentically, and clearly. And then you can work on those questions and how you how you answer them. Now, when you're working on them, here's what I'd recommend. There's a technique called playing actions that performers use. It's called playing actions because when you're trying to influence how somebody feels, you need to make choices about how you want them to feel. So, for example, I might, in a conversation uh, if, uh, with, a, with a potential client, you know, if I was a financial advisor, I would want to make sure that they feel safe. So I might make sure that that's the action that I play at the beginning of the conversation to make them feel safe. Now, how do you do that? Well, you do that uh, by designing a process that makes them feel safe from the moment they park uh, their car in your, uh, in your you know, uh, parking lot outside of your offices, uh, and when they walk through the door, the way they're greeted, where they're put when, they, uh, when, when they're waiting, um, how, th- how the, you know, one of the uh, assistants uh, brings them a cup of coffee or, or tea, how you first interact with them the kind of questions that you ask them at the beginning. Because if they don't feel safe in the early steps uh, or process of the conversation, then it's very hard for them to hear the content that is coming. Because they'll always filter that that content through the fears that they have. So in order for them to listen, they need to feel relatively safe and secure. And I don't just mean physically safe. They need to feel emotionally and intellectually safe. So then, you know, there might be a client you've been working with uh, for, uh, and so then w- one other thing is that throughout that whole meeting, if you if you know what your objectives are through that meeting, then you can choose different actions to play to hopefully achieve those objectives. So 
you know, you, as we discussed, may make to work to make them feel safe at the beginning, but then there may be a, a certain part of the conversation where you do want to provoke them a little bit because some of the things that they have been doing in the past are actually uh, problematic. In fact, are not moving them forward, but moving them backwards from a financial perspective. And so in order to get them to think about making a change, they may need to be provoked just a little bit. Now, in order to provoke them, you have to make them feel safe first so that they will accept that provocation. But it's a choice that you're making, and then you're able to then read that person very, very well based on how they're responding to the actions you're playing. And then, of course, you're going to choose other actions if you need to make adjustments, but you do that on the fly. So if you know what your objective is, then you can make these choices going into those conversations, and you can adapt in the conversation by choosing different or additional actions that are going to make them feel differently. Like you might need, you might provoke them and then they get really nervous. So you decide I'm going to soothe them now. Well, how do I do that? And then you're going to choose uh, behaviors. You're going to choose your words, what you're saying uh, to help influence the way they feel. You know, I, I think it's so uh, valuable to, to think about those client conversations that thoroughly and in, in, in that kind of depth. I, I had an experience just like that this morning, the, 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 the first meeting I had today was with a client and it's a client who is really going to be challenged to make it to their retirement goal because they don't have control over their, over their spending. Hmm. And, you know, that, that, that requires a certain kind of conversation. And, you know, we had, <clears throat> you know, we had the tissue box out 20 minutes into the conversation, which, which I thought was really a very positive thing, because like you're saying that, they accepted that provocation and they felt safe enough to, you know, to cry about, about their struggles and that kind of stuff in that conversation. And that's, that's how we're going to get to a breakthrough is if they feel safe enough to actually deal with all those things going on. That's right. And one of the ways to create safety uh, at, a begin at the beginning of a conversation or at any other point in the conversation is by using contrast. So if you first tell somebody what you do not intend or what your goal is not, and then you follow it with what you do intend, then you're more likely to help them feel safe and they're more willing to have the difficult conversation with you. So for example, let's say that uh, you have a teenage daughter and she starts dating a guy, he's a couple of years older, and he looks like you know, he's maybe a year, maybe he maybe make it about a year before he ends up in, uh, you know, the penitentiary. He's just not, <laughs> he's just not the kind of guy you want to see your teenage daughter dating. Yeah. So you could say to your daughter, and look, and this is a big deal for her because she never went out with a guy that, you know, seemed so cool and exciting. And now she's hanging out in a social circle that is a little bit more popular. And so she really likes this attention that she's getting. So if you, you just go to her and say, listen, your boyfriend is a jerk. There's, I'm, not, you are, I'm not letting you date this guy. He's absolutely wrong for you. And that's that. So you just call him now, tell him to take a hike. That's not going to go very well. <laughs> uh, it's not. And even if, even yeah. if she says, fine, I'll do it, dad. Uh, yeah. She's still going to see the guy. You know, it's just, <laughs> exactly. Right. So, but if you approach her with, uh, with the contrasting statement, like, so listen, my intention is not to break you up. My intention is not to take you away from hanging out with this uh, new group 
uh, that you know you're you're socializing with because I know you're really enjoying it. My intention is, however, to talk to you about some of the other things uh, that you have been doing for so many years in your life that you that you've loved and have been been a big big part of your life and your development that you don't seem to be doing that much of now. Uh, and I just want to talk to you about those because I think it would be wonderful if you know you kept some of those things in your life now. What happens? She goes. She, she feels. Oh, okay. I'm safe because they're not going to take. They're not going to take away the thing that I really, really want. So I'm okay there. I feel safe. So you know what? All right. I'm willing to talk to them about these other things. Now, if you can get into that conversation about the other things and you can get her reengaged in those other things, well, that might help you feel more secure because then you you feel like okay, she's not losing her entire identity at the moment. She's still in, actively engaged in the things that are positive for her, even though she's dating this guy. And maybe over time, she'll start to see that, you know, maybe he doesn't really fit in with, you know, her life and her development. So this way, you still get to have that conversation because you're always working to create safety when the conversation starts. And anytime the conversation starts to go off the rails, you're always trying to bring it back to safety. And so that's that's an excellent example. And uh, one of the conversations that advisors will wa at least want to have with clients is, is conversations about referrals, which is, of course, what the whole podcast is about. So what kinds of suggestions could you make for advisors as they prepare for having um, conversations about referrals? Hmm. So, you know, referrals are a funny thing. I wrote, a, I wrote about referrals in my first book, uh, Book Yourself Solid, which I wrote in 2005. And uh, there's a number of editions of that book out and, and even an illustrated one for people who like pictures. Uh, <laughs> because uh, the book oh, is- Oh, Book Yourself Solid, the graphic novel. I can't wait. Th that's exactly, it's very, it's not <laughs> that, but it's close, <laughs> close enough. <laughs> you know, because the book, the original book is 70,000 words. And then when I did the illustrated version, I said, how can I cut at least a third of this book down and replace, you know, the what I cut with images so they can get it uh, more quickly. And that's what Book Yourself Solid Illustrated is. But I, I have a section on there uh, about referrals. And on one hand, yes, asking referrals for referrals is wonderful. It's effective. Um, but it only works when somebody really, really wants to share you with their friends or, or colleagues or family. There has to be something in it for them. And I don't mean financially. Uh, I, 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 I would never pay for a referral for a, a client in my business because I never want a conflict of interest. And I think it's probably uh, not, you wouldn't be out of compliance as a financial advisor if you were getting paid for referrals, although I don't know. So of course that's your area of expertise. But um, but that's not really why most people would give a referral anyway. Like I, I remember the very first house I bought, uh, maybe 20 some years ago, uh, after I bought this house and at the time it was an expensive house, you know, for me, it was about a half a million dollars 20 years ago. That was a big deal. And, uh, the, my real estate, uh, brokers sent me a, a note with a card afterwards that said, if I send them any referrals, uh, that buy a house with them or sell a house with them, they'll give me $250. I'm thinking, do they, right? Yeah, right. Do they really think I'm going to go out of my way, like work really hard? I got to get it. this is going to how I'm going to develop oh, yeah. a whole uh, additional stream of revenue because I'm going to send. No, of course not. 
I will only send them referrals if I absolutely love them, if they've changed my life, if there's been some transformation uh, that I've experienced as a result of them. And I know that they're going to be able to consistently do that for anybody else I send them. So uh, Matt, my accountant uh, slash CFP, who I mentioned earlier, I have sent him more referrals than uh, I, 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 I mean... I would send this guy referrals every day. If so, every time someone mentions anything financial, I say, you got to talk to Matt. That's just, you have to do it. He's never once asked for a referral ever, but he takes such good care of me. And there are people who love making referrals and there are others who just won't do it because they're, even if they love you, they're nervous that, uh, that if it doesn't go well, they'll be blamed, which of course, uh, I understand. Uh, yeah. but, um, but some people love it because they get such pride and joy uh, in being able to refer somebody. So, you know, when I know that Matt is helping somebody else sell a business, uh, and you know, is doing things for them and with them that they couldn't do, uh, with their previous accountant, then I feel really good about myself because I sent that over. So the first thing is to identify who actually is the kind of person that will send referrals rather than trying to get every single client you've ever had to send referrals probably about 10% of your clients will send 90% of your referrals. And this, I think anybody that's been in business for a long time has seen this at least anecdotally. So can you identify who the connectors are? Who are the people that you know, both professionally and who, uh, you know, in, amongst your clients who love to connect? They're the people who love, love recommending restaurants They'll, you know, they'll post on their, you know, social pages uh, about a new, um, you know, new thing that came out. They're often early adopters. Uh, they'll, they'll often talk about, you know, uh, deals or, you know, or opportunities that they have seen that their friends can take advantage of. So if you pay attention to the people around you, especially paying attention to your clients, you'll start to see who, who does that naturally. And then you want to do everything in your power to focus on supporting that individual who sent that referral by certainly, certainly sending them all the gifts that you possibly could ever think that they would <laughs> love to receive. No doubt about it. As long as, of course, that's compliant uh, with uh, regulations. Right. Um, and, uh, and, have a, and really have a, a referral tracking process. So you keep the, per, you keep the referrer in the loop throughout the whole process as, again, is appropriate uh, and uh, as is compliant. Uh, because if, you, if someone sends a referral over and they have no idea what occurred after they sent that referral over, then you know it doesn't really mean that much to them. But if they get an update on a regular basis from you about how the referrals that you sent over are doing, well, then they feel really good about it. They appreciate, they know that you appreciate it and they're going to want to do more of it. The, the yeah, um, yeah, before you go, Julie, the, um, uh, you know, I, I think that's really brilliant. I, and, and Michael, I've never really thought about it that way before, but you're, you're, you're totally right that, that, you know, if you just, I never thought about, it, you should pay attention to what your clients are doing on social media or, you know, when you're in conversations with them and yeah, those people who are naturally referring all the time, you know, oh, this movie, oh, this restaurant, you know, that's, that's, that's great information. That's really information. And, yeah. and, uh, and, and, and you also bring up a lot of really good points that, that, you know, we've covered in, in other ones that, that would, would be a great companion to this, this episode, we talked with John Ruland, who of course brought you up in that conversation, you know, about, uh, talking about gifting and, 
you know, giving you something that was personally meaningful to you and, and, oh, yeah. um, and Stacey oh, Brown God, Randall has so talked much, about tracking. Yeah. yeah. I mean, John, yeah. John is, I mean, John, everybody should be reading giftology because uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, I mean, like, I remember when he told me never to give a gift card and I was like, why not? He's like, cause who the hell remembers a gift card? <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. You know, who, first of all, I have a gift card in my wallet that's been there about three years. That's an American <laughs> yeah. Express gift card for $150. I don't even know if it works at, at yeah. this point. I've tried it twice. The two places I went didn't take it. And I have no idea who gave it to me. Yeah. I have no yeah, idea exactly. where it came from. And, and I promise none, none of your friends is ever going to ask you, oh, who gave you that Starbucks gift card? It's, yeah, it's, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Anyway, right. now, Julia, uh, I'm well, sorry. There's, go one, ahead, there's one other thing I want to mention, um, and I address this actually in Book Yourself Solid, and I, I call it the always have something to invite people to offer. Because, uh, I, you know, when I started, uh, I, I really didn't, un I, I, I was a little conflicted about marketing because what I, what I saw people doing and what I saw a lot of teachers focusing on were marketing strategies. And, and and making this assumption that marketing actually got you clients. But I don't think it does. I think marketing just creates no. awareness for the products right. and services you offer or for yourself. Yeah. But what you do once somebody becomes aware of you is, of course, what actually books you the business. So they always have something to invite people to offer was something that I started doing very, very early on uh, in my uh, business because I felt uncomfortable trying to sell things to people really quickly, you know, like the elevator speech seemed over the top to me, uh, you know, like this idea that you're in an elevator for a few minutes with somebody and by the time the doors open, they take out their wallet and give it to you. <laughs> I mean, I'm from New York City, where I come from, you, you know, you, you guard your, your, you know, your belongings uh, quite carefully. So that just didn't make sense. But I figured, well, if I meet people, and I can extend an invitation to them that has no barrier for entry, well, that I can feel comfortable with. So uh, this is way before live streaming or webinars or any of that stuff. I just did uh, every week uh, on Mondays at noon, I would do uh, an, an hour-long um, teleconference. And each week I'd bring a different topic that was relevant to my audience, and I'd address it for, say, the first 15 or 20 minutes. And then I'd open it up for discussion and take questions. And it grew really quite quickly. I mean, the first time I did it, there were four people there, one of whom was my mom. I said, Mom, <laughs> did you like it? She goes, oh, sweetheart, it was, it was just it was wonderful. But I, I don't know what was happening, but it was, you should just do, you know, like she didn't know what was going on, but she came anyway. Uh, and then eventually I would have a couple hundred people just regularly showing up every single Monday. And not all of them became clients, but about 85% of them became clients. And the reason I bring it up when, uh, when you mentioned referrals is because it, it was a really easy way for people to refer others to me because there was a, it was much less commitment on the part of the person coming to it. So it's a very big commitment to sit down with a financial advisor. It's a, I don't think financial advisors realize this yeah, yeah. because a, the advisors are asking for an enormous amount of prep work. You, you know, you've got to, you got to put your financial statements together. You, you know, you've got to bring in all sorts of documentation uh, and, you know, not everybody has this organized, you know, just where they can just click a couple buttons and they've got it all and they're done. It could take a number of hours or even days just prepping for that meeting. So I think sometimes they go too fast, but if I'm doing, you know, if you haven't always have something to invite people to offer and, and I'm your client, 
and I know that it happens every week and there's a, you know, I know what the phone number is, or I know how to, you know, uh, join in if it's a webinar or something or whatever it is, it could be something in person that could be, you could organize this in, in, you know, 25 different ways. But if there's something that I can regularly join in on and, and get some value from that advisor, uh, and, you know, start to start to build some trust with that advisor because trust is not built in an instant. Trust is built over time based on commitment making and fulfilling. If you do what you say you're going to do, people will trust you um, a little bit. You do what you say you're going to do again, they'll trust you a little more. You do what you say you're going to do again, they'll trust you a little bit more and so on and so forth. And then also, if there are other people around uh, the advisor and I get to see who those people are, uh, I might say, I might see them and say, oh, well, they're similar to me. Oh, that person's actually interesting. And they work with, you know, uh, this, this advisor. Well, maybe I should, you know, consider it. And then the next step, I might be willing to come in and have a meeting or even just chat on the, on the phone one-to-one. So I just think that, you know, uh, Winston Churchill said it best. He said, you know, the future is uncertain. It's a mistake to look too far ahead. Only one link in the chain of destiny can be handled at a time. And I think we can take the same approach to our sales conversations so that we just go one link in the chain of destiny at a time. And maybe we should slow it down a little bit so that by the time we actually do get in conversation about uh, managing somebody's money or uh, selling insurance or any you know of the other things that we might do, uh, there's a whole number of links that are already uh, tightly connected so that we have a certain amount of trust already built up with that uh, potential client. So uh, there's there's just so much of value here, and I know we're at time, but I wanted to, there's a few strings here, and, and we started talking about performance, and I wanted to make sure that before we let you go, we really um, let the audience know about some of the resources as well that are available to them. Because, I mean, as you talked about intentionality in conversation, as you talked about, um, you know, you know sh- sharing stories and, and working with your advisor, as you talked about maybe inviting them to something where they all led to this performance. And even if we don't think of performance in the traditional sense, I think your definition of it is so compelling and something that advisors need to think about. And it's a skill, right? There's training that, that's oh, yeah. involved. And I know Steve and I have both, we're, we both speak professionally, but you know, we're always looking for resources to get better. And we we came and, and, and have been involved in a couple of the um, programs that you run. Um, can you give us just a quick overview? If you're an advisor who wants to enhance performance, how your program might support in doing that, or, or maybe your core program as an entree that? Yeah, sure. Of course. So I, I will say uh, that uh, going into uh, 2020, um, our model is changing a little bit in that we are actually uh, going to be referral only at that point. Uh, we've, we've, uh, we've been very fortunate to get to the point where we have a fair amount of demand uh, for the programming that we offer uh, at our headquarters. And uh, what we decided to do is, uh, is go referral only so that our alumni as well as uh, you know, some friends of the business who know the business very well, uh, who have thought leadership um, positions themselves, have the ability to refer in uh, to the business because, you know, it, this is a very very uh, personal work uh, that we do with people, and uh, and we find that if somebody has been here before and they get it, if they send somebody else over, that person is the right kind of person to do the work with us. So I just mentioned that because if anybody is interested in uh, doing some training at Heroic Public Speaking, 
uh, then they should talk to you directly uh, because uh, then you could refer them over to Amy, my wife. Uh, and you it's know, awesome, you know, you by know the her. Way. You probably know. Yeah. You probably know She's that. incredible. She's I have really a bit of a girl amazing. crush on her. I have to. Oh, I, 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 I understand completely. Uh, I <laughs> and, feel and the then same of course, way. I have a guy crush on Michael. So, I, Julie, you, you and I are the perfect pair for these two. Perfect. Go. We've got a little love connection going on. <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, if if you know if uh, if there are either listeners of your show who uh, who you know or clients of yours, they can come to you, and then you have that ability as an sure. alumni uh, to to introduce them to us, and then um, we can evaluate at that point. Um, because, you know, this work is really is really very very transformational, um, but it's not uh, it's not for people who uh, who just wanted like a super super quick fix. Uh, let me just do a couple hours and now I'm going to master this stuff. It's not like that. When you're training to 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 become a better communicator and improve your ability to create content, uh, to write scripts, to rehearse those scripts. Uh, to improvise uh, in the moment, uh, and to be able to perform uh, at a very, very high level, best in class type level, it does take some time. Uh, so for folks who are serious about it, you know, we're, you know, very, very appreciative uh, of the opportunity uh, to meet them uh, for sure. Uh, and the kind of people we usually work with are either professional speakers or soon to be professional speakers or entrepreneurs who use speaking to build their brands and book more business and then, of course, mission-driven people who want to advance a cause or lead a movement uh, of some right. kind. So, Yeah. Well, at, at the very least, um, everyone should read Steal the Show and Book Yourself Solid. Uh, lots of really good advice in, in both of those things. If, if people want to uh, learn more than that, um, Michael, where, where would they go to find more out about you? Sure. HeroicPublicSpeaking.com. HeroicPublicSpeaking.com. And, uh, you know, we're on Instagram at Heroic Public Speaking and Facebook at Heroic Public Speaking. Um, and if they just have a question that they want to ask, uh, please just send us an email at questions at Heroic Public Speaking, questions at HeroicPublicSpeaking.com. Wonderful. Well, that sounds great. Well, I, there's so, so much good advice in this episode, so much more I know you have to offer, and I wish we had time for it. But we really appreciate you taking some time to chat with us today. And, uh, for, and thank you so much for joining us on Becoming Referrable. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Hi, it's Julie again. It was great to have you with us on Becoming Referrable. If you like what you've been hearing, please do us a favor and rate us on iTunes. It really does help. You can get all the links, show notes, and other tidbits from these episodes at becomingreferrable.com. You can also get our free report, Three Referral Myths That Limit Your Growth, and connect with our blogs and other resources. Thanks so much for joining us.